All right, and we're back, and uh, I, I got to jump right into it. The 4K release this week. We only have one new movie this week, but what it is. It's the movie of the summer as far as I'm concerned, and uh, it, it, what a terrific movie it is. Might even be the movie of the year for me. Yesterday. Inter- it's an, an, an interesting, for, first of all, most interesting thing about Yesterday is the star. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 what is he? Uh, uh, Pakistani. He, he, uh, Himesh Patel. He's he he plays Pakistani, but he's Indian. But he's in plays yeah. Indian. Okay. Yeah. Which might be an issue, but nevertheless, yeah. there he is. What I like about this film is that that's irrelevant. That's the beautiful thing too. It, they didn't cast him no. because they were going for like a for diversity checkbox. No. They didn't cast him because they're sort of trying to boost their numbers. They cast him because he's the right he's the guy. He's the right guy. Yeah. He's the right guy. He's a songwriter and he's a singer and he's he's funny and he's a comedian and he's deadpan and it's like he's the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And I love that. And kudos to Danny Boyle, uh, who has always been, you know, a, a, a colorblind director that way, and he just he, he he's gonna do whatever's the best film. And to Richard Curtis, who wrote the script. Um, who's like, yeah, I just want the best guy. Bravo to both of them. Uh, it's just, what a, and what a great pairing. Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis. Yeah. yeah. I mean, seriously, if you don't know what this is all about yet, so it's about a guy who's kind of a down-and-out songwriter trying to have a career, and um, a a kind of a, a, an event happens, such as you would get in, movie, in, in, in those old movies from the 90s, like Big, or um, what else? What else had those little supernatural events? There were there were a whole bunch. Freaky Friday, Freaky yeah, Friday, yeah. Uh, Groundhog Day, Groundhog, yeah. Groundhog yeah. Day, where we're just gonna we're gonna assume that you're gonna accept that something has happened for which there is no logical explanation. Just go with it. Yeah, you'll enjoy the rest of the movie because of it. And Groundhog Day is maybe the best example of it. Um, but basically, what happens is is like an, a momentary global blackout, and when the lights come back on. Everybody, the Beatles are no longer a part of history. Yeah. Like that blackout has erased the Beatles from history, from music, from everyone's memory, except for him. Yeah. So now he gets to start performing all these Beatles songs as if they were fresh and build a career off of it. And uh, it's just so charming. It's so sweet. It's so wonderful. It goes in so many directions you don't expect. Has great cameos, great supporting cast. I mean, a really great sporting cast. Uh, Kate McKinnon is terrific. Um, Lily James is delightful. Ed Sheeran plays him freaking self. I, I thoroughly on. enjoyed this movie, but I do have an issue with it. Which? As a, as a, as a, as a, as a sort of music guy. So yeah. the one thing that this film does not consider deeply enough, I think, is what music would be like had there not been good point. a Beatles. That's a good point. Uh, you, in, in the world, yeah, the Beatles are gone, yet you do not see what that means to music. Because I'm, I can tell you right now, folks, if there are no Beatles... There's a lot of other stuff that doesn't exist exactly. either. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of other things are not going to happen. And this movie doesn't quite... It's, it's, it's a little bit more about the relationships and the dynamic and That's whether or not true. this is the correct thing for him to do. You know, I'd be screwed if this happened to me. You know why? Can't remember the lyrics to any songs. <laughs> Well, I like that they play with that a little bit in the movie, too, where he's not quite sure of some of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's he's kind of struggling to remember them. And uh, so they, they have fun with it. With the very title song, Yesterday. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm already done. I'm already done. That's true. Uh, something about my troubles and being far, far away. away and whatever. Yeah. Okay, well, it is, it is a delightful movie. Uh, I love it. I just love it. I love it so much, uh, and it's original for crying out loud. It's an original. Yeah, an original. Movie. That's that. And that is a wonderful thing, and that's meaningful. There's an alternate ending on here, which uh, I'll say nothing about, just other than watch it. It'll be. <laughs> I'm. I and I'm very curious to see what people think of it. Uh, deleted scenes and uh, some additional songs didn't make the movie, which is fun. Ed Sheeran uh, featurette, Kate McKinnon featurette, a lot of lot of good stuff on here. And uh, here's the here's the great thing. The bonus features are all in 4K. Oh, fantastic. The movie's in 4K, and the bonus stuff is in 4K. So no compromise there. No getting to the uh, the bonus features, and oh, it doesn't look as good. Nope, it's all 4K, 100%. So bravo to Universal for really kind of going all in on 4K and with the movie and the extras here. It is beautiful. Also, movies anywhere. Get that code. Add that thing to your movies anywhere. Take this movie with you on your phone, on your iPad, wherever you want to go. It is worth it. Absolutely worth it. 
Also have some uh, animated to kick through this week. Uh, oh, and by the way, Tim, you see what they sent us for, for yesterday? They sent oh, yeah. us a little persuasion. They sent us a little pick. Oh, a little, a little guitar yesterday pick. guitar pick. I'm claiming dude, that. Dude, it's yours. Here it is. I'm claiming that. Here it is. I'm claiming the guitar pick. You got it. <laughs> it's yours. Um, oh, that's sweet. So uh, knocked through some anime here. Got some uh, got some stuff from... Let's start off with uh, from the Right Stuff line, Sunrise. Um, right stuff. One of the one of the uh, premier uh, uh, distributors of uh, of anime content, and uh, they have the Gundam library. They do all the Gundam stuff. And uh, you want to go to rightstuffanime.com to look into to see more about what they've got and what you can get from them. Right stuff anime. That's stuff with one F. Don't do right stuff two F. Right stuff one F anime.com. And this is Mobile Suit Gundam 0080, War in the Pocket, um, from the Sunrise line. Wow, is this a totally weird uh, detour on the on the whole Gundam uh, universe. The, the only thing I can say about this, without kind of giving it away, is like if somebody were going to do a, a fusion of the Gundam world with uh, Toy Story, it might kind of look something like this. Um, the, this takes place in uh, the Universal Century 0079, the year before Gundam 0080, so 0079. And uh, a new Gundam is being built, and uh, so an investigative team is sent to go look into it, and one of whom um, winds up, Oh, I don't want to give this away. So one of whom winds up through a series of circumstances meeting um, this kid named Al. And um, Al is sort of the linchpin for the way that the, the story transpires after that. And that's where it gets all kind of Toy Story. And it is, um, it's really interesting. I don't know if it, it I mean, it's, it's really a detour for the Gundam universe. So uh, fans of the Gundam stuff expect something very, very different this time out. It's really quite unusual. Uh, from the Made in Japan line, we also have uh, Joshiraku, which is lovely, uh, if a little bit shallow and not quite as funny as they probably think that it is. Um, it basically centers around five women who do this uh, very specific kind of performance art, performance theater in Japan, known as Raguko, which is... Um, which is like a like a one person show where you 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 do it's like a one woman show basically five different women doing one woman shows um it doesn't it doesn't really blossom as a story the way that I think they they imagine it does but it's still well done and the voice casting is good and it's it's uh it's got some moments so uh Joshiraku for those who have an interest in uh, that aspect of Japanese culture not on Blu-ray but only on DVD are um, six episodes of FLCL Progressive, which is um, apparently kind of a big deal, and I'm not familiar with it. It was seen here on Adult Swim originally, and it's all about a 14-year-old uh, a girl and her friends and uh, these two kind of alien creatures, and uh, it's, you know, kids becoming more powerful, than, and there's a scooter, and I, it doesn't really, it's all kind of all over the map. I could see Adult Swim really going for this. The animation's good, and, uh, but the whole adventure feels like, if John, like, feels like a Japanese version of Johnny Quest on acid with too many people and too much supernatural stuff. I don't quite understand it. Uh, and then... We also have a bunch of stuff from Funimation. Actually, before I get to the Funimation, let me uh, knock off, off this as well. Tada! Never Falls in Love, complete collection. Uh, this is also from Sente. This is um, kind of, this is so-so. I mean, it, 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 it strictly for people who are just really, really dedicated to kind of uh, youth-oriented anime. Um, it's all about a, you know... A, a, guy who wants to be a famous photographer and and it's you know it's soap opera it's like anime soap opera uh it deals with a lot of very specific japanese things that don't really trend uh, translate very well however um there's a there's a market for this and i'm not gonna 
not going to denigrate anybody who considers themselves part of that market. Mm. Uh, all right, here we go. The Funimation stuff, real quickly. Uh, Kakurio, Bed and Breakfast for Spirits, Season 1. Uh, it's exactly what it is. It's about a bed and breakfast for spirits. Uh, it's very much rooted in Japanese uh, polytheistic theology, mythology, whatever you want to uh, call it. And uh, it's a little bit inaccessible, but uh, beautiful, beautiful artwork. Well, uh, really well conceived. Uh, then we've also got uh, Love Live Sunshine, season one and season two, the complete series. Uh, this is a um, this is immersed in the whole culture of Japanese pop music competition and teen idols and teen bands and all of that nonsense. And it is more obsessive there than it is here. These kids just want to form their own group, and there it is. You want to get, go out and form a band? Okay, it's like an anime version of the Archies, I guess. Something. Mm. Uh, My Hero Academia Season 3 Part 2 continues the My Hero Academia Odyssey. It is. Uh, there's no way that you're going to come to it at this point if you haven't seen the previous stuff. It'll make no sense at all. And then the last three here, Lord of Vermilion, The Crimson King, the complete series, really, really superbly done. Takes place just about a decade or so in the future. And uh, Tokyo has been the victim of this thing called this this weird red mist. And uh, this is basically a kaiju story where people are turning into monsters and uh, now we've got to figure out what's happened and, you know, how do we, how do we solve this and, and deal with it. Kind of a kaiju story meets a zombie story uh, in really, really well anima- animated anime. The Tatami Galaxy, the complete... Kind of psychedelic, a little bit uh, visually beautiful, a little bit inaccessible. Um, kind of deals with uh, the light college life and uh, and growing up and uh, and how you how you sort of manage all of that. Feels a little bit like that girl uh, done Japanese anime style with a little bit psychedelic animation. And then lastly, the uh, One Piece saga just keeps on going. This is episode of East Blue, Luffy and his four friends' great adventure. I'm not going to tell you what East Blue is or who Luffy is or anything about his four friends. It's just too much backstory here. Uh, But it is very much in keeping with the other One Piece adventure. So uh, fans of One Piece, you will not be disappointed. Groovy, groovy, groovy. Let's knock off a few of these. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, kind of classic films, relatively speaking. Uh, Nightwish, 1989, uh, Bruce R. Cook film, starring Brian Thompson. I always love Brian Thompson. X-Files, Cobra. Sure. All that kind of stuff. This yeah. is one of these uh, sort of scary house movies. They go into mm. a scary mansion to, to uh, the ghost and all kinds of things you're going to have to deal with. But it's, it's like a scary house movie meets altered states. Because they're using this deprivation, uh, sensory deprivation chamber uh, to take these students, this nutty professor, and, and drive them into the deepest reaches of their minds. And next thing they start experiencing their own deaths. Mm. And, and then the deaths actually start happening to one of those kind of things. So, you know, it's not a fantastic movie, but there was a little run there in the middle 80s, early 90s, where these sort of movies, Brainstorm was another one. Yeah. Uh, Altered States. So yeah. Oh, yeah. Exploring all of these oh, sort yeah. of uh, uh, the, the scariest thing is inside your own mind That's kind it. of movies. Anyway, this is kind of cool. Blu-ray special edi- edition features the commentary with the executive producers and the filmmakers. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a neat movie from that period, from that era. Uh, I cannot believe that John Carpenter's Vampires was 1998. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's really irritating. It's uh, really, really irritating. Uh, as vampire movies go, this was a fairly decent one. So in that period when the vampire movies were coming back again, the Catholic Church is aware that there are <laughs> vampires, as the Catholic Church always is. It has its vampire hunter team that it sends out uh, with uh, James Wood and Daniel Baldwin. Cheryl Lee is the thing about this movie. Cheryl Love Lee Cheryl from Lee. Twin Peaks, of course. Yeah. Uh, Twin Peaks uh, had been about six and ba- years And before. Backbeat. And Backbeat. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so good. She was just simply extraordinary. And this otherwise, you know, more or less throwaway John Carpenter movie. What is neat about it, you got Maximilian Schell. You got Gregory Sierra. Uh, you, you know, I mean, you know, this, this, this is one of those movies where the old guys are still hanging around playing priests and stuff like that and I, and I rather enjoyed it special features interviews with the director Carpenter who's still hanging around with us and doing some stuff Woods Ian Thomas Griffith and a few other folks uh, Vampires you know not a bad vampire movie as vampire movies go going way back uh, to 1959 Bucket of Blood 
Roger Corman's movie. We deal with this, by the way, in Schlock, yeah. which Ray, which you and Ray and I made, you know, all those years ago, and which Ray has remastered for Blu-ray, by the way. Oh, really? Yep. We're getting ready to get that out on the uh, on an anniversary edition, but yeah. Um, Schlock is going to be out again, and and Bucket of Blood is a really important Roger Corman. It's kind of autobiographical Roger Corman. Yeah, you know, wanting to be taken seriously as an as artist, a, as an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. wonderful film. Lost uh, Dick Miller uh, a couple not of months long. ago, yeah. not too terribly long ago. Yeah. We lost Dick Miller, star of this film, and we well, interviewed him for Schlock too. We interviewed him for Schlock. Uh, Roger, uh, last time Roger directed was back in 1990, uh, the, the, the Frankenstein Unbound, or Roger Corman. Oh, yeah, Frank. that's yeah. the last time he directed. But Roger did a lot of directing. We think about Roger. And his as a producer and all of the filmmakers he gave us, uh, Roger, uh, who came out of that sort of Roger uh, Corbin school of filmmaking is what it's what a lot of people called it. But Roger actually knocked out one or two fairly decent films as a director. He did a fairly decent um, uh, a film with Vincent Price. Uh, a couple of those, uh, and, and and this one, uh, Bucket of Blood, which is really really an extraordinary film. It still lasts. Sort of touches on that whole sort of beep. Beat period, you yeah. know, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. So it's really kind of cool in that particular sort of way. Uh, written by Charles Griffith. This has all kinds of special features on it uh, that you're going to love. So if you're a Roger Corman completist or you just love Dick Miller, these movies definitely pick up Bucket of Blood. Fear No Evil, 1981 film um, uh, about a high school student who turns out to be, uh, you know, Lucifer. <laughs> the devil. Okay. Because, right. you know, that happens. It happens. Uh, this was not particularly good back in 1981. It's probably not particularly good now. It is kind of fun, though, I'll tell you that. New 4K Master from the original Elements. In the interview with uh, the lead actor and some of the special effects folks, new audio commentary uh, with the director, I do, I do rather enjoy the practical special effects that movies engaged in back during that period. Lots of stretchy stuff and rubber and, 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 and foam and, and, uh, and the head spinning around on sticks and all kinds of stuff like that. So, you know, you can always have some fun uh, with that. The Of all of these, though, the, the one that I'm most interested in is this uh, nine-film collection from the, Noir, from the Noir Archive, Volume 3. Nine films from the Noir Archive, Volume 3. From the good folks over at Mill Creek. So this is just fantastic. Some of these are big. Some of these are small. All of them are pretty good uh, as, so far as Noirs go. So what do we got? We got Lineup with Eli Wallach. Uh, let's see, I think that's from 1956, if I'm not mistaken. Hell of a film. Uh, it was a big screen movie uh, at the time, which is a fairly unusual sort of thing, but that's a hell of a film lineup. Uh, we've got uh, The Shadow from 1956, directed by William Asher. Uh, again, a solid movie starring Phil Carey and Betty Garrett and John Barrymore, among others. Uh, then we have got The Long Haul, 1957, uh, Victor Mature, Diana Doris, uh, yeah, 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 wonderful sort of British noir. Uh, then we've got Pickup Alley, 1957, John Gilling directing this, again with Victor Mature, Anita Ekberg, and Trevor Howard out this time. Uh, for them, the Tijuana story. This was a wicked cool movie. Leslie Cardo's directing Rodolfo Carfa and James Darren, young James Darren in 1957. So so good looking. At the in the, time. Oh man, forget about it. In the Tijuana story, she played with fire. Also 1957. Jack Hawkins and Arlene Dahl in that movie. Christopher Lee. Uh, again, new, uh, UK noir. Uh, the, the lineup, by the way, that's a Don Siegel film with Eli Wallach. Uh, just really a wonderful. Richard Jekyll was also in that film, young yeah. Richard Jekyll. Uh, the Case Against Brooklyn, 1958, directed by Paul Windicose with Darren McGavin, the wonderful Darren McGavin and Maggie Hayes in that film. Uh, and then you've got The Crimson Kimona. I always love The Crimson Kimona. This is Sam Fuller, of course. Uh, and it's just an absolutely fantastic film, Victoria Shaw. Uh, in that in that in that black evening gown with that slit uh, all the way up the leg to like her belly button or whatever. Mm -hmm. totally. <laughs> I, I cannot totally. believe they got away with that in 1959. I know. I know. For God's sakes, man. Uh, man on the string. Ernest Borgnine playing playing a really hard. Andre de Toth directing. Kerwin Matthews uh, playing a grittier role than we are often than we uh, got used to seeing Ernest Borgnine, and we think about Ernest Borgnine. We think about Marty. We think about McHale's Navy uh -huh. and all, all that kind of stuff. Ernest Borgnine. With a gun uh, and angry is a hell of a thing to see. Uh, it's a bit of a counter spy story there. Uh, so, those nine films uh, in this set, the Noir Archive, Nine Film Collection, Volume Three, these are always fantastic and some of my most favorite movies in the world. 
lot of stuff from Kino this week. Really fun stuff from Kino. Uh, let me burn through it. The most important one, I think, overall, is a film that was that we never saw here. And uh, despite the fact that it had a great star and a great director and a difficult subject matter, that is Pasolini by Abel Ferrara, starring Willem Dafoe. So here's the story here. Uh, this was this was originally made, I think, in around 2014, and it's been on the shelf forever. Yeah. And look, it why, had a little distribution. I, I talked about it on the show. It, I, you, you, why would an, an Abel Ferrara film with Willem Dafoe get get cut off at the knees like that? Well, yeah. part of it is because I think Pasolini, number one, isn't really known outside of nerdy film circles. Yeah. And two, he's a difficult figure. Possibly, oh yeah, a really died in a. Horrible way. Uh, Pasolini, of course, famous for making Solo, first of all, which is a film so vile that that people who most people who've seen it don't ever want to get near it again. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of intentionally very, very uh, sexually and graphic in so many other ways. But it, it, it was it was controversial at the time. Uh, controversial at the time in a big way, trying to you know it, it Mussolini's fascist Italy and how these kids are abused, and it's really just a a rough film to watch but he also made the gospel according to saint matthew yeah. which is his jesus movie but his jesus is a marxist yeah you know pasolini was a difficult political figure he was not just a filmmaker he was a writer and he a was scholar a writer and, and a poet uh, yeah poet yeah. and and he and he was he was a, a gay man who struggled with his religious and sexual identity and uh, a gay man with very right wing tendencies, incredibly so. Very strange figure who wound up dying when he solicited a gigolo and was stabbed to death by said potential partner. And uh, driven his car used in his own his, run over by yeah. his own car. Yeah, it's pretty middle seventies, I think. Right, seventy five, yeah. November seventy five. So anyway, this is all about the end of his life, the the final hours of Pier Paolo Pasolini. And Abel Ferrara himself, being a very troubled artist, obviously sees a lot of himself in Pasolini. And it is a challenging film. It is a difficult film, but it is a good film. Uh, not a perfect film, but certainly all of these threads come to play in it. And Willem Dafoe acts his heart out. And it's uh, if you are a if you are in any way interested in Pasolini, it's worth checking out. As long as we're talking about difficult filmmakers, we also have a pair from Yorgos Lanthimos, yeah. the Oscar-nominated Dogtooth, which I hate. And Alps, which I don't like much better. However, I love the favorite. Uh, when you pair, yeah, when you pair Lanthimos with good material, I'm all I, into look, it. Look, I'd rather enjoy the lobster. I think a bit more than you, you did. Yeah. I think you did. Yeah. Um, but here's the deal. Dogtooth is about a family. These are you know Greek language films. Uh, he's still working in Greece, not not going outside yet. Uh, Dogtooth is about this weird family that's totally cut off from the world and all of their weird rituals and cults and practices to protect their children. It's very unusual, and it gets w very deviant and sick at a certain point and doesn't really come to any meaning. However, if you love Lanthimos, it is your piece of cake. Alps is a little bit funnier, a little bit more ironic, a little bit more accessible. Still not enough for me, but again, people love it. Uh, Alps is all, all about people who, f who form a service to impersonate dead people to help their grieving loved ones get through the process. So a little again, this also winds up going off the rails at a certain point, which is what he does. Let's do something eccentric and then let's make it go completely bananas at the end. Um, very similar films in that respect. That also won an award for a screenplay at the Venice Film Festival. Uh, you got some extras on here. Uh, uh, there's a commentary on um, Alps by Amy Simmons, which is quite good. And then there's a commentary on uh, Dogtooth with the uh, actors from the film Angeliki Papulia and Christos Pasalis, which is fine. There, there's also a conversation between Kent Jones and uh, Yorgos Lanthimos at the uh, Lincoln Center, which is interesting. And some deleted scenes. Um Moving along, we have three Kino Classics titles. Uh, the first one is uh, Fred Skepsi, the great Australian director, his outstanding breakthrough film, The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. Uh, Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith is an amazing movie from 1978, right in the pocket of that Australian New Wave uh, moment when all the Australian directors were coming over here, George Miller and Peter Weir and the other George Miller, and there was a whole bunch of them. 
and Fred Skepsi, uh, Roger Donaldson at the same yeah. time, Smash Palace, right? So uh, uh, this is, and Bruce Beresford, I think, was the first one with yeah. Breaker Morant. And yeah. Anyway, Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith uh, was 1978, based on the Thomas Keneally novel, which is um, all about a sort of looks at what Australian culture, colonial culture, did to the indigenous population, primarily this one indigenous man who's losing his mind. Um, and what that does to him and for him. Uh, it is really a powerful film, still very, very powerful, still really well-crafted by even present standards, and Fred Skepsi is just a hell of a, a great director. Uh, Jack Thompson co-stars, but it is Tommy Lewis playing Jimmy Blacksmith, who's never really gone on to do anything else. Man, is he just, he just owns this movie. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, also includes a commentary with Fred Skepsi that is a must-listen, absolute must-listen. Other stuff on here, there are some interviews and whatnot, but listen, listen to that commentary. And interesting to compare the two different versions. The international version is five minutes shorter than the Australian version. It's not much, but the they are different, and uh, they are both of them are included on this set. Um, from the American Film Theater uh, line, which we continue to talk about, there are two more releases. These, of course... Uh, are, was the this was the life work of uh, Ely Landau, who wanted to get all these great plays and turn them into movies, and continue to do so with the American Film Theater uh, business model. The two that we have here, Brian Friel's Philadelphia, Here I Come, with uh, Donald McCann and Saiban McKenna, or Shoban, however you pronounce it. It's, uh, you know, 1971, made in Ireland, and uh, quite well-directed uh Pretty, pretty darn well directed by uh, John Quested, who did a lot of TV at the time as well. Uh, and then the other one is, and, and by the way, that's, you know, it, that's kind of a minor one. I'm not that familiar with Philadelphia. Here I come. It's an, it's an okay play. It's a pretty good uh, production of it. But the one you really, really want to zero in on is Harold, Pil Harold Pinter's The Homecoming. Anything, uh -huh. anything Pinter is great. Um, interview with Edie Landau on here, a, a promotional film for the American Film Theater on Ely Landau, and uh, an interview with David Watkin, who of course would go on to do um, Chariots of Fire and many, many, many other fine films. Uh, Peter Hall, the great stage director mm -hmm. and father of actress Rebecca Hall, mm -hmm. directed this and does a great job. Uh, Peter Hall has done an, a handful of films. I like all of them. He doesn't do films often enough. This is in 1973, and uh, what an absolutely wonderful adaptation of a very difficult Pinter play this is. It really is. Um, it's it's almost uh, it's almost uh, oh gosh Arthur Miller like yeah. in many respects. Uh, the the way that it kind of immerses itself in all the conflicts of these families. Maybe even yeah, even O'Neill, 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 Chekhov. You know all those guys. Yeah, for sure. Uh, really, really good. Great cast. Um, most of them actors that you probably wouldn't be familiar with. Uh, Cyril Kuzak being the exception. Ian Holm being the other exception. But uh, really, really a, a fine film. And that is uh, Harold Pinter's The Homecoming for the American Film Theater. And then from the uh, Studio Classics line, a whole ton of stuff. Let's go through it. Uh, they've, they, they just went nuts this week. And uh, the first two have been released before, but they are always fun and always worth checking out. Support your local sheriff and support your local gunfighter with James Garner. Uh, Suzanne Plachette in Support Your Local Gunfighter is the reason to see this all by itself. Burt Kennedy yeah. directs these beautifully. Lots of fun. James Garner is great. Uh, Joan Hackett and Walter Brennan in Support Your Local Sheriff. These are just absolutely classics of their period, late 60s, early 70s. And, uh, you know, come on, go for it. It's great. Um, our good friend Michael Schlesinger, whom we have interviewed on this show, uh, who is just an absolute scholar, he does two sensational audio commentaries here. Really great stuff. Has details I never knew, and I thought I knew these films inside out. Um, also get a couple of deleted scenes on Sports Your Local Gunfighter. Uh, so those are fun. And then we've got Blindfold with Rock Hudson and Claudia Cardinale. So this is from 1966. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say, directed by Philip Dunn, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say, if it's got Rock Hudson and Claudia Cardinale in it, see it. Yeah. Doesn't can't, matter what it's about. Can't go wrong with that. Cannot go wrong with that. This is a, a pile of fun. Jack Warden, um, Guy Stockwell, just a, a pile of fun. 
And uh, it's basically a spy thriller, but it's got some funny stuff in it. It, it yeah, it, and, and that's all. That's all you need to know. It's Rock Hudson and Claudia Cardinale just being charming and wonderful and, and delightful. And uh, it's just a great 1966 movie. Um, let's see. Got a couple other things here. Let's go with um, Reap the Wild Wind. Reap the Wild Wind has kind of lost a little bit of its reputation. This is an early Cecil B. DeMille film uh, from 1942 with a sensational cast, beautifully photographed in, uh, in color. I mean, amazing color for 1942 especially. Uh, and here's your cast. John Wayne, Susan Hayward, Ray Milland, Paulette Goddard, Raymond Massey, Robert Preston. Are you convinced yet? Yeah. Come on. Who cares what else is going on? Uh, it's an adventure film. It's a swashbuckler set in uh, the 1840s off of Florida. And uh, is the is the adventure part of it uh, very convincing? No, you can tell they're on a soundstage. Mm. Whenever they're on a ship, they're on a soundstage. You can you just know it's all soundstage work. But so what? It's uh, it's it's romantic and it's got freaking John Wayne and Susan Hayward. Beautiful movie. We also have uh, John Wayne in Rex Beach's The Spoilers, which uh, is also made in 1942, directed by Ray Enright. Uh, not quite as good. This is a uh, kind of a run-of-the-mill Western gold rush story that is distinguished only because of the cast. Marlena Dietrich, Randolph Scott, John Wayne uh, do a, a good job, but otherwise not terribly remarkable. Um, let's see. Why don't we... Uh, Let's do some TV. Do a little TV? Yeah, let's do a little t- TV and break it up so I don't uh, ramble on all these. Well, I got here. I have here the complete series of elementary Sherlock Holmes, uh, sort of take on Sherlock Holmes, uh, starring uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu and Aidan Quinn. Uh, look, um, this this and the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock Holmes with Martin Freeman playing the Doctor sort of run parallel. This 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 started a little bit before that. Uh, and I must tell you of the sort of contemporary adaptations of Sherlock for television anyway. This has been my favorite. This, really? This series, Elementary, with Johnny Lee Miller, set in New York, of course. Yeah. It sort of reconfigures all kinds of things. Sherlock, he's, he's an addict just like Sherlock was. She is his sober living companion, an mm. actual doctor, that, uh, a surgeon who has uh, issues in a past in herself. And she is contracted to work with the New York City Police Department. And, and, and be, because uh, she is his sober living companion, he hangs around with her. And, you know, goes ahead and solves some crimes. There you go. Because why the hell not? And there's Moriarty and all that kind of stuff. And and it's, it's just a neat show. I think I, what I like most about it is Lucy Liu as Dr. Watson mm. uh, in this show. It's just a fun sort of take on the Sherlock thing. Uh, and, and, and the stories are actually pretty good, too. All right. And I, look, I, I, I go back and forth. I know I've been inconsistent because I always say that my favorite – uh, uh, DC, uh, you, you want is always say Flash, I always say Flash, but I ac- I actually kind of think Supergirl. Yeah, I kind of you're, you're more into Supergirl than I am. I'm nuts about Supergirl, but I'm just nuts about Supergirl. Yeah, in, in general, Super, <laughs> just Supergirl doesn't make any difference where she is, what she's doing. <laughs> Helen Slater, yeah. 1980, whatever Supergirl, this Supergirl, but this Supergirl is fantastic. I love it. This is the f- uh, fourth complete season, fourth season of Supergirl. Uh, all the villains, all the bonus features, all the great stuff. If you're a Supergirl uh, aficionado, as am I, you what, know, love what I do like about the show, so I love her. And I do love the... Uh, Benoist. Yeah. And I love that they introduced John Johns, the Martian Manhunter, as a character, which I, I, think, I think was a really cool move. That yeah. was unexpected and super cool. But then there are other things that, I, that are like, what? Like, like the, fact, the fact that I, I looked at Jimmy Olsen... And then I didn't go. Wait, Jimmy Olsen isn't black. That didn't. That didn't bother <laughs> nope, me. Nope. It was like Jimmy Olsen's not a stud. Yeah. That, that bothered me. And he becomes uh, something steel. Anyway, yeah. the guy yeah. in the, suit, the just, iron suit, which I think is a completely original character. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so I which, need. You know, it's you know, a thing to do. I at least need my Jimmy Olsen to be a little bit of a nerd. He can't. <laughs> he can't be that hot. Uh, but this is the girl power series. I like yeah, it a lot. It's it a lot is. of fun. I love it when they do the crossovers. Yeah. The, the crossovers are great. And, and, and occasionally this next one, the complete fourth season DC's Legends of Tomorrow which has just been a mess since they uh, launched it uh, it's just been a mess characters have uh, come and gone uh, they finally sort of worked it out to a thing that makes some sort of sense by the time we get to the fourth season you still got Rory and a few of the characters Constantine for some reason is in the fourth season of this 
I don't yeah, I don't I, yeah, you, I know. yeah I don't I'm like how do we get to Constantine? I don't know. It's almost as nutty as them uh uh, uh who, who who's the guy that whose head turns into the flaming skull. Yeah, um, that that guy that is guy. on that guy is on Mar, uh Marvel's Agents of Shield. Yeah. I'm like how the hell what, what the hell is this guy doing? I don't know. Uh, in the show, but you know, hey, it's part of the franchise, so they do it. All new bonus features, including a, a great gag, well, and some other stuff. So you know, I don't know, not at the top of my list of those shows, but Supergirl certainly is. Where are we going? Uh, let me hit a few more of these kinos here. So we also have another Marlena Dietrich, John Wayne movie. Marlena Dietrich, John Wayne, and Randolph Scott. This is uh, this is not a western, however. Um, this one is called Pittsburgh. And it's okay. It's um, it's kind of middling. It doesn't really show off anybody terribly well. But it's a you know it's a story. It's a it's kind of one of the. It's made in 1942, so it kind of comes out of the Depression and World War II. And it's very much a war era movie. It's about friends and rags to riches, and uh, there's a little patriotic uh, thread to it as well. And um, really, the the kind of distinguishing characteristic here is that it's particularly well shot. It's uh, based on uh, a, a story written by George Owen and Tom Reed, um, who were really workmanlike writers at the time. And uh, so it's 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 pretty generic, but it is actually really really very nicely shot. Uh, other studio classic uh, films that we've got are Mirage with Gregory Peck and Diane Baker. Which was directed by Eddie Dimitrick, used to teach at USC, mm-hmm. uh, testified to the uh, House on American Activities Committee, and uh, kind of named names. And Eddie was uh, not appreciated for that. He has justified it, though, and and whether or not you agree with his justification, he remains one hell of a noir director, yeah. and directed some great, great movies. Uh, Walter Matthau has a great performance in this as well. But really, it's uh, Gregory Peck who just owns this movie. Um, the uh, so Mirage is a is a really interesting almost Hitchcockian thriller uh, with Gregory Peck as a Hitchcockian figure, just a mild-mannered accountant who is um, who is drawn into a, a web of intrigue when he suffers from amnesia and hires Walter Matthau uh, to be the gumshoe who kind of figures out what's what's uh, what's troubling him. Where are these flashbacks coming from? And what's all this stuff that, uh, that keeps haunting me? Um, really super smart screenplay by Peter Stone, who wrote Charade. That's why it has that Hitchcockian uh, feel to it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a sharp little movie. Uh, commentary by uh, film historians Howard Berger, Steve Mitchell, and Nathaniel Thompson. And Diane Baker gets an interview in here, which is nice. Uh, more recent films uh, include The War at Home and The Good Mother. Uh, Martin Sheen, Kathy Bates, and Emilio Estevez in The War at Home, which was directed by Emilio Estevez. Um, the junket for that film. Y- you know, it's an okay movie. Yeah. Um, all of, all a little of the late me- for those sort of Vietnam, Vietnam things. Uh, retro- y- yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it, it would have been better in like 15 years earlier yeah. in 81. When they were doing with Platoon and yeah, all that Hilton stuff. And Full Metal Jack yeah. and all that was happening. But, but as a way of looking at a guy who comes back from Vietnam and has all this these troubles readjusting, it's got some moments. It's got some strong moments. Kimberly Williams is particularly good in it as well. Yeah. Uh, the Good Mother uh, was directed by Leonard Nemo. Uh, believe it or not, after he had sort of forged a career with three men and a baby that, hey, I can direct, you know, I can do things other than Star Trek. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's quite an affecting film. Has uh, beautiful performances by uh, Liam Neeson and uh, Diane Keaton in it. Jason Robards does a, a, is fabulous as always in a supporting performance, and uh, it's really just a um, it's just one of those the slice of life family movies. It's a, you know she's uh, recently divorced and has a child and trying to put her life back together again. And then uh, some it starts to come together, and then things take a turn for the worse again. Um, this was produced, I should point out, by Arnie Glimcher, who briefly did have a career as a director when he did The Mambo Kings. Ah. And then did a documentary, and he hasn't done anything since. I don't know why. Mambo Kings. Asante and uh, young... um, Yeah, Antonio Banderas. Yeah, young Antonio Banderas. Uh, Mambo Kings is a great movie. He should have directed more. And then the last three here from uh, Kino, I am so elated by. This is just absolutely such a delight. Three of the all-time greatest Ealing comedies, uh, starting with uh, Kind Hearts and Coronets, which has been out in a Criterion edition before. It's now out on Blu-ray from Kino with a lot of great extras on it, uh, including a commentary by uh, Kat Ellinger and an introduction by John Landis. 
Um, also features an interview with the late cinematographer Doug Slocum, who many people might know did uh, also shot all of the original Indiana Jones movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom. Uh, and uh, what a this is this is one of the all time great British movies. It's really a total joy. Uh, Alec Guinness in one of his best performances as well. Um, this is the film that kind of shot him to uh, to stardom because he plays eight different characters. Made in 1949, and uh, it's all about uh, a guy who's trying to uh, avenge the fact that his mom was disinherited. And so he's trying to get himself a title. It is just terrific. Every one of the, the relatives uh, that he has to deal with also played by Guinness. It's great. It's really, really fun. And then uh, another great Alec Guinness performance in The Man in the White Suit. Love directed by movie. Alexander McKendrick. Considered one of the all-time great genre films. And it is a genre film. Uh, it's kind of a mad scientist film at the same time. He, uh, he's a chemist and he creates a fiber that is like the it's like superhero fiber. Yeah, yeah. it won't get dirty. It won't get dirty. Get, uh, and the, the whole thing. Yeah, it's fantastic, and now everybody wants him. It's great. It's really, really fun. Uh, mean, I got, so talk about high concept. This is 1951. I know, I know. It's 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 the the nuclear era, and we're kind of uh, it's a, as a metaphor for for nuclear power in some sense as well. Uh, really, really terrific. Oscar nominated for its terrific screenplay. Wonderfully directed by Alexander McKendrick. And, uh, you know, who did a lot of other great movies like the original Lady Killers and Sweet Smell of Success as well. Mm -hmm. And Doug Slocum shot that one, too. And then the last one might be my favorite of them all, uh, The Lavender Hill Mob with Alec Guinness and the great Stanley Holloway from uh, My Fair Lady. Um, This is directed by Charles Crichton, who most famously would just keep directing until he did Fish Called Wanda, uh, which was like a crowning achievement. Um, Charles Crichton has the best sense of timing of any comic director in history other than possibly uh, Billy Wilder mm. and, uh, and Woody Allen. Really, really wonderful stuff. Such a fun and funny movie. Um, Alec Guinness was Oscar nominated for this. This was also made in 1951. Can you believe it? All these great performances in 1951. And um, they, they're trying to... Um, they have a plan to steal this gold bullion uh, from the bank that... that from from like from his own bank, Alec Guinness wants to. He's a, just he's a bank clerk, and he wants to rob his own bank. So how are you going to do it? And the way that they have concocted it, I will tell you nothing of the plan. But it's so funny and so weird and so hilarious. And uh, Holloway, if you've never seen him in anything else, is such a good actor and so fun. It's a great pairing. The Lavender Hill Mob, one of the all-time great caper movies of all time. Yes, fantastic stuff. A little bit, a little bit more TV. Yeah, do some more TV. You know, um, uh, if you had told, look, when when this show first appeared, I, I was like, well, that's not going to work, uh, and I was wrong because now I'm looking at the complete second season of Young Sheldon, uh, picking up where the Big Bang Theory left off, or actually, I suppose, I, I suppose you could say, preceding the Big Bang Theory, we watched the life and times of Young Sheldon and from 1989 until he will ultimately become older Sheldon, who we know from the Big Bang Theory. The bright thing that they do with this series is that they have Jim Parsons, you know, Sheldon, narrating. Uh, You know Jim is making more money than everybody in this show. Yeah. Just narrating. Yeah. He probably comes in once a week and does a, and does four or five episodes a week. Just that, just the narration. It's not that much of the show, but be, be, you know, because of his position, I guarantee he's making more money. Oh, for sure. Than everybody on this show. Yeah. Just doing the narration. Anyway, second season, Young Sheldon. Folks love the Big Bang Theory. I'll be honest, never got into it. <laughs> never got into it. Uh, Madam Secretary, fifth season again. Fifth season of Madam Secretary. I watched the show. I can see that. I can see the yeah. expression on your face. Yeah. the same expression is on my face, because you know. How do you get five years out of that? You got five years out of this. Yeah, and, and of course, it. you know, we had that moment when we. Uh, my I, real secretaries don't want to stick around that long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she'd be president. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Stephen King's The Stand. Well, you know, this version of The Stand was is the one that Stephen King prefers. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> uh, but you know whatever it's it's fine. Uh, it too, the second yeah. it adaptation of Stephen came out yeah. uh, a few weeks before this airing. Yeah, did not do as well as that original it. True. Uh, you were for on all the, kinds you, of reasons. You were on the show for that. Yeah, uh, and, and, and talked about it and, and, and talked about how the children not the same with the children. True. The stand. I can remember when the stand came out as a novel, crazy long novel, more than a thousand pages. 
My wife read it. She read all Stephen King's everything, hardbacks. I used to buy all the hardbacks. She read this thousand plus page book. You gotta read it. You gotta read it. You gotta read it. Fine. I read the thousand pages over the course of a summer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, fine. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, get to the get to the last page. The thing that happens, I wanted to kill myself. Yeah. It was the worst ending of any book I've ever seen. I've ever I've, I've ever read, particularly after it made you go through a thousand pages. Yeah. Uh, but you know, anyway, that's the television version of the stand. Uh, the Good Fight season three, ten episodes, so some deleted scenes and a whole lot. Look, you know, the, the Good Fight uh, fairly interesting. Um, I have an issue with this show because uh, our good friend Sherman Augustus was up for this Delroy Lindo part. Yeah. But Delroy got it. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you know, anyway, Christine Baranski uh, in this, uh, but a, a fine, fine series. Never cared for Billions. This is Billions I, season it's, four. It's cat and mouse every you season. Know? It's the same story. It and doesn't there change. aren't any likable characters None. in the entire series. The two leads, I, I, I can't stand either one of those assholes. <laughs> and, and, I and, and I and I root for them all to lose. Yeah. You know, I, what, when, when, did, when did we stop having characters that we could root for? Like Magnum. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. A good guy. He's yeah. a good guy. No good guys in this show at all. Everybody's uh, dark. Uh, the two big family shows, Modern Family, the complete tenth season. Oh wow! You know, uh, again, Modern Family is a show that I appreciated more than I actually watched. I watched it early on because I was nuts about Homie from uh, Married with Children, uh, and you know, I kind of got the gist of it and just sort of faded away. But you know, folks love Modern Family. This is the final season, the complete tenth season and final season. No, I'm sorry. The final season is on right now. This ah, is yeah. not the final season. That's just the tenth. This is the eleventh. The eleventh is the final, and that's airing right now. Uh, this is us has somehow gotten itself to a third season. I don't no, know I why don't. I say this. Everybody on this show gets nominated for Emmys like every yeah. five seconds, and I. But you know what? Watched the pilot episode, uh, you know, uh, three seasons ago. Yeah. Wanted to kill myself. Really? Wanted to kill myself. I hated this show so deeply. It was so earnest and completely sincere. You had to want to kill yourself. So well, uh, there, there I go, and I'm just a guy who was complaining about there not being any heroes. Uh, you know what? I, I defend Dan Fogelman, though, who created yeah. the show, yeah. because he was so panned last year for uh, Life Itself, yeah. which I loved, which everyone else thought was one of the worst films of the year. It made my top ten. I thought, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a good film, and he's a really unfairly maligned, because keep in mind, this is a guy who started doing a lot of animated stuff, cars, and you know all those Pixar things. That's what he, he was his bread and butter, was scripting those, those animated movies, you know, just cookie-cutter stuff for Disney Pixar. And um, and and he reinvented himself as this kind of thirty something guy. Dra and, the narrative, the dramatic, thirty multiple characters. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, interesting thing. Uh, uh, Robin Williams, comic genius. This is just a fantastic. Uh, this is all five of his HBO specials gathered together in a five DVD set, uh, covering covering forty years of Robin Williams' uh, uh, HBO performances. Um, look, one of the th I can't think of much that makes me sadder than what went down with Robin Williams. Yeah, but uh, he has left us uh, really some stuff to love, and this is really great stuff, including some rare archival footage never before seen, uh, appearances at the People's Choice Awards, and all kinds of stuff like that. So, Robin Williams, comic genius, uh, all five of his HBO specials. Awesome. I got a bunch from Arrow and Criterion. Boy, what a bunch we have. Uh, so from Arrow first, uh, we have Arrow Academy, but I'm going to go with the regular genre Arrow stuff first. The first one is a movie I'd never even heard of before. In the Aftermath. You ever heard of this, Tim? Mm. In the Aftermath? Crazy. I'm like, what, what warrants this getting attention? I'll tell you what. Uh, it's very interesting. So... Cal Colpert is a uh, is, is another one of these guys who cut his teeth uh, doing Roger Corman movies, just like Joe Dante and yeah. and uh, Francis Coppola and Robert Town and and Cameron. All these guys, they all came out of the uh, Jonathan Demme. They mm -hmm. all came out of the Corman school. Mm -hmm. So Cal Colpert is one of those guys, and uh, he made this movie, um, which is kind of a weird. Uh, it's 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 like this bizarre genre mashup, which includes anime pieces from uh, Mamoru Oshii's uh, 1985 anime Angel's Egg, which gets cut into this live action stuff, uh, which is basically a post apocalyptic movie about uh, two soldiers looking to survive after the world has been completely destroyed. 
And um, it, it winds up taking a very strange sort of poetic, existential, metaphysical turn. And uh, you just don't know where it goes after that. And wow, is it just an unbelievably weird, curious, strange mashup of styles and ideas and all this stuff. Um, very short, 72 minutes, but uh, really worth looking at if you are a fan of the genre. Uh, really an unusual movie. Uh, a super special edition of The Hills Have Eyes, oh. part two. Part two. Oh, it's, it's really tiny. They say part two because... They could have called it The Hills Still Have Eyes. They could have, but they called it The Hills Have Eyes Part 2. And uh, Wes Craven came back to do this completely unnecessary sequel, but it's weird because it's got a whole uh, motocross thing to it now. Like, it's now a motocross team who run across the cannibals. And, uh, you know, I guess motocross was a thing at this time, like, just you know, nineteen. I guess it's nineteen eighty four that he made this, but um, I don't know. It, it's not that it, <laughs> I, it didn't need a sequel. You, you don't really need this movie. Michael Berryman comes back, and uh, you, you know this making of documentary here and interviews with everybody, but uh, tons of extras. I just don't know that this movie was really all that necessary, to be honest. It's, I mean, it's not terrible. It's still a Wes Craven film, but whatever. Uh, the prey got another one of those great taglines. It's not human, and it's got an axe. What does oh, that mean? God, it's not God. human, and it's got an axe. Like, like it, 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 it's, what, a mouse? <laughs> uh, a chimpanzee? What With the, an axe. All kinds of things that aren't human. You can put an axe in their hands, and they're not very scary. <laughs> oh it's God. not human, it's got an axe. It's the opossum with an axe. <laughs> anyway, uh, The Prey is uh, a gore film, and it was, uh, you know, when first released, it was a bit of a thing, 1980, and uh, it really isn't really anymore. There are two different cuts on here, the international cut and the uh, U.S. theatrical cut. Neither one is all that better than the other, kind of the same. Uh, interviews galore, all this kind of stuff. But um, really, when it comes down to it, it's pretty much another one of those uh, slasher movies. Just another slasher movie. Uh, Kind of treads a little bit on Friday the 13th, a little bit on Halloween, um, a little bit with It's Alive. Uh, It's, you know, it's it's all that stuff kind of thrown together and and people go in the woods and they get sliced and diced by some horrible thing with with a backstory. There it is. Uh, Hellraiser and Hellraiser 2, the, the uh, Clive Barker films, also out from Arrow with loads and loads of extras, terrific transfers, be- brand new 2K restorations, uh, overseen by the cinematographer Robin Vigian. And, uh, you know, uh, featurettes and interviews and uh, all that kind of good stuff here. But ultimately, unless you're a real big fan of uh, Pinhead, uh, it's not going to go very far with you. It's all that real kind of SM bondage. Uh, imagery and symbolism and Clive Barker loads it up and uh, you know mm-hmm. a good point important to point out as well Clive Barker did not direct the second one uh, Tony Randall not the TV star mm. the uh, Tony Randall who spells it with one L directed the sequel but Clive Barker produced and it's basically the same kind of deal uh, the uh, Arrow Academy title is a joy it is the major and the minor which is such an absolutely beautiful movie Directed by Billy Wilder, co-written by Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett, and with uh, a dream cast, even for a Billy Wilder movie. Rita Johnson, Robert Benchley, Diana Lynn, and starring Ginger Rogers and Ray Moland, eventual Oscar winners both. Really terrific. Ginger Rogers and Ray Moland, absolutely delightful. Um, Ginger Rogers is, is, at this point was kind of pushing away from the musicals and going more into uh, doing dramatic work to prove that she could do more than just sing and dance and you know be kind of plugged into uh, as Fred Astaire's uh, partner and boy does she just nail it um, it's, it's really uh, it's really very this is almost in the Me Too era not very appropriate um, but uh, because Ginger Rogers is pretending to be 12 years old and uh, it's a little bit of a stretch, but not too much of a stretch. In any case, there's a, it's kind of a thriller. It's kind of a romantic comedy. It's very, very clever. It's really wonderful, and uh, I can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, Criterion gives us a couple of great ones this week, too. 
um, old and somewhat new. Local Hero is the more recent film. Local Hero is uh, kind of has continued to be a cult classic since 1983 when it first came out. Um, Bill Forsyth really put himself on the map with this as a director of kind of humanistic comedies. And uh, it's really an unusual story that you wouldn't normally think would make a great movie. Peter Riegert playing a guy from a a Texas oil company who goes to uh, Scotland to basically develop the oil uh, on off the coast there and uh, winds up just being completely sucked in by the community and the people and the charm and the pastoral uh, peculiarity of it all. It's just, uh, it's really, really very clever. Has, uh, has an old screwball comedy feel to it, and Riegert is just totally wonderful, and Bill Forsyth nails it. And then lastly, Criterion continues to release all of the old, old Charlie Chaplin movies from 1928, Chaplin's legendary... The Circus. Uh, I just wish they'd get all these Chaplin films out sooner rather than later. What a tremendous movie this is. Um, Originally made in 1928, re-released in 1969 with a new score and uh, just loaded up with wonderful, wonderful extras in here. Uh, You know, Chaplin dealing with the circus is kind of everyone's dream come true. The only thing that might be better was if Keaton ever dealt with the circus. But Chaplin finds more pathos in it than than Keaton probably would. And uh, it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. New commentary with uh, Jeffrey Vance, who is Chaplin's biographer. Uh, an interview with Chaplin from 1969 when he had written the new score. And uh, a new interview with his son, Eugene Chaplin, uh, plus a whole bunch of other great stuff. Fantastic transfer, gorgeous, never better. This is now the definitive 4K digital restoration virgin, version of Charles Chaplin's The Circus. Uh, a couple more television bits over here. Including uh, Holocaust, 1978 uh, television miniseries uh, that gave us a very young Meryl Streep and, and, and James Woods, Michael Moriarty. Uh, basically, this was a uh, Schindler's List uh, 10 years, uh, no, uh, 20 years before Schindler's yeah, List. Yeah, I remember this. It, it, was, was really de- it was devastating. It was a television event. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It was, it was one of those television yeah. events. It basically follows uh, the, the story of, the thi- of uh, two fictional families, one Jewish, one German, the Huises and the Dorfs. Uh, uh, as uh, the events of the Holocaust sort of play out over a number of years yep. uh, in several episodes of this series. Uh, nominated, uh, eight, uh, won eight Emmy Awards, uh, including Best Limited S- Series and the, and the Golden Globe. And again, uh, the work of a, a young Meryl Streep and young James Woods, you just really can't go wrong. I wish there were more on here, but it really is, really was one of the most powerful movies outside of, you know, Shoah or something like that, of, of that period. Uh, the Truth Will Out. Um, is a uh, is a television series that's actually quite striking. Uh, British uh, series out of the UK uh, about a little town, about a little town uh, in the north of Wales, uh, where uh, uh, there have been these murders. And this re- retired or a guy who's, who wasn't working anymore, a cop, is brought back to build a uh, to build a team of folks to go out and solve these unsolved cold cases. Oh, nice. Uh, gets a couple of these cops. Uh, they don't like each other. And this woman who's not even a cop, and he has to go out and solve these crimes, particularly this one crime that happened some years ago. And it turns out the person who was caught and convicted for and has been in prison for some time for that crime likely did not commit that crime. Mm. And so this is going to be a political problem as well. Little things. Pretty good show. Uh, th- uh, this is from the producers of uh, the, guy, the folks who did the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies. Uh, and then we have a little series called Pitching In, a perfectly lovely little series. This one is actually the one that's set in the, on, on the north coast of Wales. Uh, it, it's about a, a, an old guy who has this trailer court uh, with all of these people in this really bucolic setting. His wife passes away. He decides he's going to sell the trailer court. Probably means that all of these people are going to get evicted. His daughter comes home, uh, who's been away for a long, long time, and tries to talk him out of selling the trailer court and evicting all of these people. It's a perfectly lovely and sweet little series of Terrific. All right. That's it for this week, everybody. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.